Okay, we're recording. Can you hear me? I can. Can okay, you hear great. me? I can. Okay. Welcome to another episode of Lennox James Mental Health Podcast. Today, we have the privilege of delving into a crucial topic that touches the lives of millions worldwide, Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. To guide us through this conversation, we are joined by behavioral specialist, Lisa Skinner, an expert in Alzheimer's disease and related dementia. Thank you for coming today. Thank you so much for inviting me on your show. I appreciate it so much, Dr. Jennifer. Yeah, I feel very uh, blessed to be here today. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So we're just going to jump right into it. So my first question today, can you provide a brief overview of what Alzheimer's disease and related dementias are? Sure. And this is actually a question that confuses so many people, understandably. Mm -hmm. So many people um, don't realize that there is a huge distinction between Alzheimer's disease mm -hmm. and dementia. Some people think it's exactly the same thing, just using different terminology. Mm -hmm. And other people actually think it's two separate diseases. So this is a great opportunity to kind of clarify the difference because it's important to know mm -hmm. so Alzheimer's disease is a brain disease and it's actually one of over 200 known brain diseases mm -hmm. that cause what we call dementia. So when we're referring, when we're using the term dementia, it's really a broad-based term. It's an umbrella term that's used to refer to all of the symptoms that show up that are caused by these brain diseases. And they do vary from disease to disease. So just to kind of put it in perspective for everybody, because mm -hmm. we've all had the flu, we've all had a cold, and we know we're sick based on the symptoms that we're experiencing, right? Mm -hmm. Some of us, let's say we have the flu, some of us get a fever, some of us get horrible body aches and mm -hmm. chills, and, but our symptoms vary um, person to person. So you might go to your doctor and he'll say, well, what brings you in today? And you describe the symptoms that you are experiencing. And then you're hoping that he can tell you what the heck it is you have that's causing you to feel this way. Mm -hmm. So this is exactly um, a, a comparison to Alzheimer's disease versus dementia. So Alzheimer's, again, is a brain disease. And there are over 200 of them. And I could not tell you what 200 brain diseases exist out there. I know the most common ones. So when we use the term dementia, we're really referring to the symptoms that accompany any of these brain diseases that show up in each person as they're progressing through each disease and um, so, for example, people can also suffer, and a lot of people aren't aware of this, they can also suffer from what we call mixed dementia, 
So people can actually have Alzheimer's disease and another brain disease, or maybe a couple other brain diseases happening in their brain simultaneously. So they're affecting and damaging different parts of the brain at the same time. And the symptomology will be a little different person to person. Even if they only have Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's disease, everybody experiences the disease that's causing their dementia in a different way. So really it's much easier to throw all those symptoms that show up in people on a daily basis when they're living with um, a brain disease into the bucket of dementia just to simplify things. So if we use the term dementia, we're talking about the symptoms that each person experiences as they're going through one of these diseases. Does that make sense? It does. I was going to say, based off, if I'm understanding you correctly, Alzheimer's disease and related dementias is not just one condition. It's like a spectrum. So Alzheimer's disease is the actual brain disease. Mm -hmm. And then when we say related dementia, it's basically saying you may be experiencing a lot of the same symptoms that mm -hmm. you see that we see in Alzheimer's disease, but maybe those symptoms are being caused by one of these other 200 brain diseases, but they're all causing the same similar symptoms that vary person to person. Okay. So with um, testing, um, is it a, I guess like a form of like a paper testing or is it like lab work that kind of determines um, if you, you have Alzheimer's disease or some type of related dementia? There are some tests that will diagnose definitively like Parkinson's disease and some of the others, mm -hmm. but actually to date, as of this conversation that we're having right now, mm -hmm. there actually is no definitive diagnosis for Alzheimer's disease. And I'll kind of go into a little bit uh, more um, elaboration on that in a second. The way the doctor, so there's only one way right now to definitively diagnose Alzheimer's disease, and that is after the person passes away and an autopsy is performed on their brains, mm -hmm. and the doctors can determine if the brains contain what causes Alzheimer's disease are these proteins and plaques that form in the brain and literally smother it and shrink it, atrophy it. Um, in terms of being able to kind of go through a process of elimination, what doctors are currently doing is determining what it's not, mm -hmm. eliminating the other uh, diseases out there that cause similar symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, so they'll eliminate those and then their best um determination is okay this is this is a case of alzheimer's disease but like i said it's not a hundred percent correct it's not definitive mm -hmm. and again people can be suffering from mixed dementia so it could be a couple other brain diseases happening at the same time and let me give you a really really powerful example of what i'm talking about okay um, many of you may have heard of the actor and the musician, Chris Christopherson. 
he was one of my favorites when I was growing up and, you know, uh, he was in, um, the, the second, um, a star is born and, um, you know, just a terrific musician. Mm -hmm. Well, that gentleman was diagnosed through this process of elimination by his primary care physician and was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease mm -hmm. because he, the, the physician felt that, okay, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. So, okay, my best estimate, my best determination is you're suffering from Alzheimer's disease. So he was given the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, and he was treated for it for three years. And all of the symptoms and behaviors that he was displaying were consistent with what we see in people living with Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. Well, lo and behold, somebody um, who knew him suggested that he get tested for Lyme disease. So another physician tested him for Lyme disease and that came up positive. And it turns out this man did not have Alzheimer's disease at all, which he had been treated for for three solid years. It turns out he had Lyme disease and Lyme disease, mm -hmm. once it reaches the brainstem, can mimic the same symptoms as Alzheimer's disease. So it turns out he had Lyme disease. And so they took him off all of the treatments that they were providing for him for Alzheimer's and focused on the Lyme disease. But if you didn't know better, you could have sworn that man was suffering from Alzheimer's disease because every there was every indication that's what he had and he didn't. So that's why I'm saying mm -hmm it's really their best determination through process of elimination, but there's a perfect example of they, they drew that conclusion, made that diagnosis. And that's not what Chris Christopherson was suffering from at all. And I'm sure that it happens more frequently than we realize because mm -hmm. there is no definitive test right now. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for that. That's, yeah. um, Oh, wow. I I initially got misdiagnosed um back in 2013 with uh with MS and I did all this treatment at least about a year or so, but I kept just feeling like I need a second opinion because but what happened was I have a neurological uh neuroskeletal neuromuscular disorder and it was mimicking the exact same symptoms. So that is something that it's common. It happens. It does. Yeah. It does. Wow. Okay. So we've already kind of talked about this a little bit, but I wanted to ask you, what happens in the brain of someone with Alzheimer's disease? Are there any specific risk factors associated with developing Alzheimer's disease? And are there any ways that it can be reduced? Okay. So let me address your first question. Mm -hmm. And this is where these 200 different brain diseases vary a little bit. Mm -hmm. Alzheimer, the hallmark of Alzheimer's disease is the loss of short-term memory. That's mm -hmm. the first part of the brain that is attacked by these plaques and tangles that form in a person's brain who has Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. Whereas frontotemporal lobe dementia 
that brain disease attacks the temporal lobe part of the brain, which is right in this part of the head and damages logic and reasoning and emotions. So every brain disease kind of attacks a different part of the brain. But again, if somebody is has mixed dementia, they may have several parts of their brains being attacked simultaneously. Mm -hmm. But the hallmark of Alzheimer's disease, and this directly answers your question, is short-term memory loss and confusion. But unbeknownst to most people, it is so much more complicated than that because it starts impacting and affecting other areas of the brain as the disease progresses. Mm -hmm. And so you start to see uh, a lot of different um, uh, repercussions as, as these as this disease progresses. It may start out in a different part of the brain based on what the brain disease is that the person has, but the um, Alzheimer's disease, it starts out um, affecting their short-term memory and people become very confused, but there's so much damage done to the brain um, through the progression of the stages of the disease that people lose their ability to reason, their their ability to use sound judgment, mm -hmm. basically all of their cognitive abilities. And th those cognitive abilities are pretty much reduced to people living with dementia, kind of relying on their very basic human instinct of fight or flight and emotion, making um, their, all their, their, their responses to things really is based on emotion because everything else gets destroyed. Now, to answer the second part of your question, we actually know that there are many, many risk factors that go in to either raising somebody's risk of developing Alzheimer's disease mm -hmm. or minimizing somebody's risk. And there we call we have these broken into two different risk factor categories. So the first one we call non-modifiable risk factors. And these are the top non-modifiable risk factors. And otherwise we in other words, we can't do anything about these risk factors if they pertain to any individual. And the number one non-modifiable risk factor that increases somebody's chances of developing Alzheimer's disease is their age. Age is the number one, and we can't change our age. The second non-modifiable risk factor is gender. We know that more women develop Alzheimer's disease than men. Not exactly sure of the medical or scientific explanation, but the theory is twofold because women live longer and they also think, they suspect it may be due to the, cha to the hormonal changes that we women go through um, as we mm -hmm. age that men don't go through. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no set in stone positive um, evidence of that. These are just theories, but we do know that more women do 
develop Alzheimer's disease. Ethnicity plays a role in uh, whether or not somebody would be at more of a risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. So um, right now, Latinos are at the highest risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. African-Americans are at a higher risk, um, Pacific Islanders, Asians. Uh, so, and um, the reason why I know um, the, the, uh, the response to the question, why is it so high in Latinos? I researched it because I get that question so often. It actually is because of a couple reasons. They have more of a um, propensity to develop cardiovascular disease and diabetes and hypertension and that type of thing, mm -hmm. which are modifiable risk factors, which I'm going to go into now. And, and they uh, apparently um, a lot of that uh, ethnic uh, community don't have great access to medical care and treatment mm -hmm. if they develop those types of diseases. So the, the risk factor for you know, certain ethnicities is much higher than others. And that's right now the top one. Um, genetics plays a role in somebody's risk, uh, risk of developing Alzheimer's. That also is a non-modifiable risk factor. There's a, a gene called EPOE4 that is hereditary, and there is a test for it. You can they can tell if you're carrying either one of those genes or two. Mm -hmm. You carry one if it's passed down by one of your parents. You'd carry two if it's passed to you by both your parents, and that um, will give a person a genetic disposition of possibly developing Alzheimer's disease at some point in their life, starting at about the age of 65, when it mm. typically starts to show up in people. But if you carry the gene, it absolutely does not mean that you are definitely going to get Alzheimer's disease. It's just increasing your risk of it. So think of it this way. If you are 75 years old, you're of Latino descent, you're a woman, and you carry one or both of those APOE4 genes, you've got four of the risk factors that you can't change in any way, shape, or form already stacked against you. Mm -hmm. Now we have to factor in what we call the modifiable risk factors. And the modifiable risk factors for developing Alzheimer's disease, the number one is having some kind of heart condition. Cardiovascular disease is the number one modifiable risk factor for developing. Now this is over and above the ones you can't change. Mm -hmm. But the reason why cardiovascular disease is in the category of modifiable is because we all can be treated for cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. And that's the key. It's got to be managed. 
If it's not treated, if you're not on medication, then okay, take that one and just throw it into your stack of of risks. Mm -hmm. um, so the more of these risk factors that pertain to any one individual, the higher their risk is of developing Alzheimer's disease. Does it mean they're going to? No, it just increases everybody's risk. The more of these factors that apply to any one individual. So your number one mod modifiable risk factor is cardiovascular disease. Um, the other, some of the other health conditions, diabetes, a huge risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. If you have sleep apnea, that increases your risk. Um, but all of these medical conditions can be treated and managed. Mm -hmm. So if you are under treatment for these things, then it'll negate that as being thrown in that pile of you know, just adds to your risk. Now, I'm addressing your question um, directly now. Lifestyle choices. Mm -hmm. now, all of these things I'm telling you, um, there is empirical evidence that all of these things that I'm telling you has been studied and peer reviewed and they're all true. Okay. This is just not my own opinion or conjecture. All of these things are based on, um, on evidence and huge studies for, you know, 30, 40 years. So lifestyle choices have become a huge factor in determining whether your risk of developing Alzheimer's disease is going to be further increased <laughs> or if maybe you can take that one out of your bucket because you're managing that. So the biggest one is your dietary choices. It, it is so true what they, what we've always heard, you know, our mother, I remember my mother saying this when I was growing up, you are what you eat. Mm -hmm. It is so true. So what is recommended for people to lower their risk of developing Alzheimer's disease is to follow more of a complex carbohydrate diet, less white stuff like white bread, white rice, sugar, white potatoes. Those are all the simple carbohydrates. And we studies have shown that, that eating that type of diet, fast food, um, fatty meats, Mm -hmm. um, not enough green leafy vegetables. Um, they recommend you eat more um, fish and lean meats like turkey and chicken. Mm -hmm. Not Nobody's saying don't ever eat red meat, but don't eat it as maybe as frequently as you do. Just cut it down. I think the ideal would not to be would be to not eat it at all. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how realistic that is for any of us. I mean, we all like a drive-through hamburger once in a while, right? <laughs> but these are the foods, the the worst foods, the most dangerous foods that we can eat that will raise anybody's risk for developing Alzheimer's disease are the foods that are um, highly processed mm -hmm. 
and that's your fast foods and it's your white breads and your Twinkies and, and those type of things. So processed foods are not our friends. Yeah. Um, the, this, the complex <clears throat> carbohydrates, whole grains, those things are our friends and will reduce our risk. The second component to lifestyle choice is to get regular exercise. Mm -hmm. We are not talking about the old belief of no pain, no gain. It does not have to, um, to be that way. Just walking for 20 minutes a day or a half hour, mm -hmm. three or four times a week would be better than choosing a sedentary lifestyle. Now, these have been studied and pretty much there's been a, a correlation determined that there's a direct correlation between the things that we're talking about, food choices, um, your choice to exercise or not exercise, mm -hmm. um, and keeping your brains alive and stimulated. So to give you an example, the number one best thing that's that any of us could do to keep our brains stimulated is to learn a, either a foreign language or a musical instrument because the part of our brain that we use, um, you know, to like translate uh, learning the notes on a piano to actually doing it and learning it, uh, uses a lot of power of our brain to do that or translating Spanish to English or mm -hmm. French to English, but doing other things like, you know, anything that makes your, your brain work and think not necessarily sitting in front of a video game. Yeah. Maybe you're thinking about what your next move is, but you're not really using your brain power. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. So um, those th those things um, kind of fall under lifestyle choices, and over the decades that they've been studied, there there have been found to be direct correlations between us um, implementing these different lifestyle choices. And if you do, then you don't have to add those things into your um, risk factors for because like I said the more of these things that apply to any one individual the higher your risk is of developing it and Alzheimer's disease commonly shows up after the age of 65 mm -hmm. for every five years that you age your risk um, increases substantially and exponentially so by the time you're 70, your risk is much higher of developing it than when you were 65. And then mm -hmm. it's even more of a risk when you're 75. Right now, the statistics tell us that by a time, by a time a person is 85 years old, one in three people 85 years old will have Alzheimer's disease. So a lot of these things that we're talking about, if if you're <clears throat> 25 right now, or if you're 35 and you start, you know, kind of eating healthier foods and getting plenty of exercise and um, exercising your brain, then you are reducing your risk of developing Alzheimer's disease 
by the time you reach the age of 65. It matters what you're doing today. So does that does that address your question? It does. Um, now I appreciate how you showed the connection between um, heart and brain health. And you had hinted on the um, mental st stimulation, which was going to be one of my questions for you. But I wanted to kind of see about how important it is for maintaining cognitive health through activities um, such as like social engagement. Yes. That is a risk factor, a known risk factor. And thank you for reminding me because I didn't mention that one. That's another thing that we have seen a huge correlation in people either who um, have Alzheimer's disease and are isolated. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times isolation will cause depression. And that can do two things. It can either increase your risk of developing it if you don't already have it. And it also can increase the progression of the disease. And we saw this direct relationship during COVID. Remember when mm -hmm. nursing homes and the assisted living and memory cares had to be shut down? Mm -hmm. Nobody was allowed to visit. And um, we saw the highest death rates in this population of people. And a lot of it was attributed to um, isolation, loneliness, mm -hmm. and um, we saw a lot of people's disease progress much faster. So yeah, no, we, we know that, that that to be true also. So thank you for reminding us to bring that one up too. It makes a huge difference. So if, you know, if, if um, you have a family member who, has Alzheimer's disease and you can't, it's not convenient for you to visit them regularly because you live thousands of miles away. Even doing things like um, uh, FaceTiming mm -hmm. is probably the next best thing to physically being there because you're engaging with that person. And there mm -hmm. are a lot of things that um, you can uh, do during that visitation period in that conversation that can trigger um, really wonderful memories for people with uh, Alzheimer's disease or mm -hmm. other brain diseases that um, helps them reconnect with their life and their world. And mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be with you being there in front of them. It can be done in other ways. Thank you. Um, I have um my friend Michelle on today. Um, Michelle, I just wanted to know, did you have any um questions so far or anything that you wanted to add, maybe? Hi, Michelle. Oh. Okay. Maybe she she may have stepped away. So I'll just check back in um okay. just to see if she's on. But okay, so um we talked about the mental stimulation and social engagement. So how does this disease affect the daily lives of individuals who have been diagnosed and their, their families? Um, are there some common challenges that caregivers uh, may possibly face? And do you have any, I guess, uh, like coping strategies that families can maybe kind of uh, put into place when they are trying to support their loved one who's been diagnosed? 
One of the saddest aspects of this disease is that it not only affects the person who lives with the disease, mm -hmm. but it impacts anybody who's involved with the person. Mm -hmm. Caregiver, it's a family member, it's a neighbor, it's a friend, it's the physician. Everybody is impacted by this disease. It's kind of like, um, what do they call that? Six degrees of separation or something. Mm -hmm. And everybody is impacted in uh, tremendous ways. It's probably one of the hardest diseases that any of us are ever going to have to um, have be part of our lives. Mm -hmm. and one of the reasons is it's so unpredictable, for one thing. Everybody experiences it differently. I think, like I mentioned before, you meet 100 people who are suffering from Alzheimer's disease, and everybody will be going through it in a little bit different way. Mm -hmm. Um and it's also a very long disease. It's a long course disease. The average mm -hmm. person lives with it eight to 15 years. I've had eight of my own family members live with one of these brain diseases that causes dementia. My mm -hmm. grandmother was my very first experience. Mm -hmm. And she, after we the onset of her symptoms, she lived another 20 years. So that's not unrealistic mm -hmm. that's a very very long time for families to go on this journey with the mm -hmm. person suffering from it so yes it impacts everybody mm -hmm. and um i can honestly say because i've been doing this professionally for 30 years now mm -hmm. plus i've had eight of my own family members plus i've cared for a dog with dementia dogs do get dementia just like people oh, yeah, I think this was my calling. What do you think? I mean, to have eight family members and a dog um, develop Alzheimer's disease. I think so. <laughs> but they call it canine cognitive dysfunction. But it's exactly oh, the same thing as Alzheimer's disease in human beings. And I recognized the symptoms that I was seeing in him. So I took him to the vet and he goes, yeah, Lisa, you are so right. Your dog has, and it's, I found out 50% of dogs starting at the age of 11 will develop doggy dementia. So if your dog starts acting a little strange, he very, he or she very well could be suffering from doggy dementia. It's a real thing, guys. So um, I got off track. What were we saying? Oh, we were talking about um, like some coping oh. strategies that maybe oh, for family support or caregivers. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So I say the number one lesson I have learned working professionally with families and helping them understand the disease mm -hmm. and learning best practices and effective responses, what to say, what not to say, how to act, how not to act. Um, how to respond to all of the unexpected things that show up um, mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis starts with education and knowing as much as you can about the disease so you are as prepared as you can possibly be for all these unexpected things that do show up on a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour, day-by-day basis, mm -hmm. whether you're the primary caregiver or 
you're the daughter of somebody suffering from and you go to visit and all of a sudden they start telling you things that are just out out, out in left field you if you are prepared for these things because you know they can happen mm -hmm. and you know to possibly expect them then you won't be caught off guard and and not know what to do not be prepared and then to take that one step farther is learn the new language that you will have to know of dementia. And that's basically, in a nutshell, how to communicate with a person who lives with brain disease, especially when they get to the point where they can no longer articulate their wants, needs, or feelings to you, and they come out in the form of these behaviors that you will see that are very common with dementia, um, hallucinations, delusions, paranoia, anger, irritability, personality mm -hmm. changes. And when they start to act out in any of these ways, it's not because they're trying to be mean or difficult. They are trying to tell you something. Mm -hmm. Something is wrong they're in pain, they don't feel well, um, their pants are on too tight, uh, they're hungry, they're cold, they're hot. It is their new form of communication. And unfortunately, we are the ones, the healthy ones are the ones who are tasked with trying to figure out what it mm -hmm. is they're trying to tell us. But you learn that um, through experience from just knowing the things that trigger these behaviors you mm -hmm. will learn it's kind of almost like being a detective so these are the most important things for people to learn about alzheimer's disease so um if you are going through this with a loved one or you're the next door neighbor and all of a sudden you see your neighbor who you've known for 25 years just kind of walking around in a daze outside and in circles that you go, oh, Marianne lives with Alzheimer's disease. She has dementia. I wonder if she walked out of the house and she doesn't remember who she is or how to get back mm -hmm. to her house. And you might go outside and say, and approach her. I mean, this happens every single day. Mm -hmm. And you can get somebody safely back to where they belong by recognizing those behaviors of them just obviously not knowing which direction they, they're supposed to be headed to. Mm -hmm. That's a good sign that all of a sudden their short-term memory just kind of flipped off on them, um, short-circuited, if you will. Mm -hmm. They walk outside and all of a sudden they can't remember who they are, their name, or which of these houses is theirs. And they're just kind of lost. You look out the window, see this happening and go, oh, maybe, maybe she's in distress. I better go out and see. This happened to my mother-in-law and a neighbor did that. Mm. So, and it happened to, it's happened to so many people that I have helped over the years. So these are all really good things to know about mm -hmm. what this disease um, can do to people who suffer from it. So when they happen, you recognize this as part of the disease, and then you know that something needs to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. I was talking with one of my um, colleagues, um, and uh, she was 
going through the situation um, with Alzheimer's dementia with her her mother. But she's here stateside. Um, she has no family here. Her mom is in Indonesia. So it was very hard. So I asked her, like, what does she do as far as like family support? <clears throat> this is what she wrote back to me. She says, family should openly discuss their feelings, fears, and expectations. Create a supportive environment where everyone feels heard and understood. Um, she said that really helped her family to be more resilient when they started seeing those different behaviors. Now, in her words, she told me sometimes the behaviors were challenging. And so... Absolutely, they can be challenging. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've, um, I've done my best to be a friend to her um, with providing kind of like just like words of encouragement for her because I, I I I can't imagine being that far away from my my family. There's only so much she can do from oh, here. Sure. That's yeah. a tough situation. Mm -hmm. I agree 100% with her advice because in my 30 years of helping families and counseling families and you know just being in that arena mm -hmm. with not only people who live with Alzheimer's disease or other dement or other brain diseases and working with family members, I have seen the lack of what your friend has advised divide so many families and they are divided into different camps. And there's a lot of division um, and divisiveness in families because you know, one sibling might feel this way, another f sibling might feel this way, and they don't agree. Um, and they all have their own, maybe agendas for the way they strongly feel. And just to mm -hmm. give an example, maybe one feels strongly that you're not moving dad into a memory care facility. I don't care what you say. And, and you know, maybe one sibling or two siblings say, oh no, we've done our research and we really feel strongly it's the best environment mm -hmm. for her to be in. This can tear families apart. And mm -hmm. I, I have counseled families. I have seen it. I have witnessed it. And it's, one of your the biggest enemies in a in a, a a family structure is not having those conversations that your friend recommend and everybody kind of um coming to a consensus. If this happens to our family, let's have a plan and mm -hmm. everybody agree and being proactive versus being reactive. Mm -hmm. And that's really where I see a lot of the problems come um, to life with the family dynamics is, you know, a, a lot of family members, the person that ends up being responsible for everything, or maybe the primary caregiver, a mm -hmm. lot of what I hear is, yeah, my brothers and sisters, they tell me how I should be caring for mom, but they do absolutely nothing to help. And they basically feel like they've been left on their own and abandoned, but they have strong opinions about everything. I mm -hmm. hear that a lot. So I think her advice, and she's lived it, is 100% accurate. 
Thank you. Now, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you, you've mentioned a little bit about technology when you were talking about like FaceTime and someone uh, for the social interaction. Um, do you maybe suggest any other um, innovative technologies or apps designed to assist um, individuals with dementias or um, even their caregivers to, to support them? You know, it's funny you should ask me that because I'm organizing um, a summit that is actually going to air on January 23rd and 24th. And I've assembled um, speakers to talk about Alzheimer's disease. Every single one of them is an expert in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. It's called the Minding Dementia Summit. And this one gal that I talked to about being a speaker at my summit is actually in the process of developing an app. She couldn't talk to me about it because it's in uh -huh. still research and development, but she said, I'm so excited about it because once I get through the R&D and I can start talking about it, it's going to help so many caregivers. I don't know what it does. I don't know what it is, but mm -hmm. she was so excited to say it's going to be such a useful tool for caregivers who are caring for people with Alzheimer's disease and related dementia. Um, there are a lot of products out there that can make the life of both the caregiver and the person living with the mm -hmm. Alzheimer's disease um, have an easier time of things. Mm -hmm. Let me give you just a quick example. Um, and these are some of the innovations that are available out there, but people don't know they exist. So one of the problems with living with dementia and it's not exclusive to Alzheimer's disease, this actually is common with a lot of the brain diseases, is to escape your current environment because you think you need to be somewhere that you're not. And you might even think that where you are, which is your home, you don't recognize it as being your home, your home anymore. You think mm -hmm. you're home somewhere else. And you will go to great extremes to exit that environment to get to where it is you think you're supposed mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. So we call that <clears throat> elopement is when somebody leaves their surroundings and takes off to get someplace else. And when people aren't are at that stage of the disease and they're not being supervised, by anybody, a caregiver or family member, mm -hmm. they can leave their home and put themselves into extreme harm's way. Um, just like I described with walking outside your door that you've mm -hmm. done a bazillion times and then all of a sudden, just in a flash, you don't remember your name, where you live, blah, blah, blah. Or I mentioned earlier that you lose your sense of reasoning and logic so you could very easily just step off a curb and you no longer know to look both ways to see if a car is coming like we were taught as young children mm -hmm. because that part of our brain's not functioning anymore. So you just walk right out. You could just step right out into the middle of an oncoming car because your brain is no longer saying stop. Mm -hmm. Look both ways, make sure it's safe to cross. That's not happening in your brain anymore. Mm -hmm. So you just walk right out and putting yourself in harm's way. 
So one of, um, there are quite a few products out there. You can find them on Amazon. Mm -hmm. It's um, like you can put a mural on the front door. It just sticks on and it looks like a bookshelf or something. And if somebody is looking for their escape route to leave their environment and they're looking for their door and you have one of these murals on the door that looks at, that actually looks like a bookshelf, mm -hmm. they, they won't know that that's the door and can open it. So they won't try to. Another uh, thing I learned years and years and years ago is people's depth perceptions and color perceptions change dramatically when they live with Alzheimer's disease and related dementia. Mm -hmm. So even something as simple as putting a black bath mat in front of the door, they won't step on it because in their mind, they see it as a big black hole that they're going to fall into. So it's a deterrent from them stepping onto that mat or over the mat to get outside the door. But the mm -hmm. murals are very um, effective too because they don't even see it as a door. They see it as a bookshelf or you know a tapestry. There's a lot of different um, mm -hmm. themes to choose from. And it's as simple as just sticking it on the exit door and they won't even try they won't recognize it as being where the door was they'll just think it's whatever it's being covered up as so there are some a lot of these innovative um products and tools out there that are available to provide safer environments mm -hmm. or enriching environments to help caregivers um uh, know how to handle a lot of these situations that come up. Uh, there's there's a, a lot of them available out there that uh, are designed to help people living with the disease and the caregivers. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's interesting you say that. Um, I was on Amazon actually, and <clears throat> it was this phone that was designed for people with dementia. So instead of like maybe having numbers, I had where well, you could insert like the person's picture. Yes. So if they would maybe maybe like recall the face, maybe not necessarily the name, but to increase social interaction. So they would just press the picture, the picture. and it would call. Exactly how they're designed for people with cognitive impairment mm -hmm. who can't remember names, don't know how to operate a telephone anymore, mm -hmm. and the the um, cue for them or the prompt is to recognize the picture mm. and they press that button and it connects them directly with that person. Right. And that's exactly the right. way it was designed to yep. do. So, yeah, no, you're, you're spot on on that one. Yeah. I, I thought that was the neatest thing. And I mean, it wasn't really even that expensive. I think the, maybe the most expensive one I saw may have been like 39 it was, it was either $39 or $49. The cheapest one was like $28 and some change. But I really thought that was really neat. I had never seen anything like that before. Yeah. But. Yeah. They, I think they try some of the things that are out there are a little on the expensive side. But the ones that I am aware of, and there's hundreds of them out there, are actually mm -hmm. pretty reasonable for what, mm -hmm. for the value you get from them. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, <clears throat> 
this has been a um a very essential conversation and again i appreciate you coming on to the show and i read in your bio about your book that you um wrote truth lies and alzheimer's it's secret faces do you mind sharing how people can purchase your book not at all the easiest way to access it is to find it on amazon uh it's offered also through amazon through other fine booksellers and my personal favorite is my audiobook of that book, Truth, Lies, and Alzheimer's at Secret Faces. Mm-hmm. I found, I did not narrate that book myself. I hired somebody, but I found just a, a wonderful, exceptional narrator who really makes the whole content of that book easy 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 to listen Mm -hmm. to and to understand i feel so fortunate to have found one that i just am so proud of because Mm -hmm. you know it makes a difference who's narrating the content to you whether or not you're gonna push the off button or continue to listen Mm -hmm. that's my personal favorite is the audio version so that's available the book actually is available in Spanish because we know the um, the high risk that mm-hmm. Spanish-speaking people, the Latino communities uh, backgrounds, uh, are at a significantly higher risk of developing Alzheimer's. So we wanted to make sure that they had access to that the same information mm-hmm. to help them out. And then um, I am about to release my brand new training program that I have been um, working on for the last two years. And I'm going to launch it at the summit that I have coming up that will air on uh, January 23rd and 24th. And it's going to, I mean, my speakers actually are coming from all over the world. There are all experts on some topic, the topic that they're going to be, and it all has to do with living with Alzheimer's disease and dementia. It's going to be just a treasure trove of information for people. It's Mm -hmm. free to attend. Um, People do have the option of upgrading for $27. I mean, a nominal fee. And for $27, they can get recordings of the entire summit and all 26 speakers and topics. So they'll have those. Yeah. So um, I do have this really comprehensive training program Mm -hmm. and Pretty much everything that I talk about in the book mm-hmm. is a problem, is a challenge, um, is covered in the training program, but it just goes into it uh, in more detail and, mm-hmm. and actually gives you tools and best practices and how to respond to this situation and how to avoid a catastrophic reaction. It goes into all, it's six modules. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of information, but people... Um, can access it at their own convenience and have it as a resource for them throughout this whole um, period of time that they're dealing with Alzheimer's disease, like with a family member or something. Okay. I'll have to email you to get the um, the details. That's something okay. I'm interested in about your summit. So, yeah. Okay. So, um, oh, and one other thing. Um, I'm going to go to Amazon um, and find the link for your, the book, the paperback and audio. Do you mind if I share that information in my, because I'm going to upload this to YouTube. 
So I just wanted to, you know, make sure it was okay to share information as far as how to purchase your book. I would be honored. And okay. I also have a um, blog. So that's on okay. Facebook. And if you go into the search bar in Facebook and put in Lisa Skinner author, it'll uh -huh. come. Okay. And uh -huh. the best way to find my book on Amazon is just type in the search bar, Lisa Skinner. And mm -hmm. all the different versions of the book will come up because there's Spanish and there's hardback and there's, you know, paperback and there's audio. So just okay. put it in Skinner and they'll come up. Okay, will do. All right. So again, thank you for this um, very insightful conversation. Um, I will be in contact with you soon to give you access to the video if you want to share it. Thank you. I'd everyone. love to. All I'd right. Thank, Thank you, you for the conversation. Again, for having Take me on and for supporting raising awareness of this really heartbreaking disease. Yes, ma'am. All okay. right. Thank, Thank you so much. You have a good evening. Happy New Year. Same to you too. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank All you. Thank right. you. Take care. Oh, hold on. Uh, Michelle? Uh-huh. Did you have a question? Uh-uh. I was just saying thank you. Oh, okay. okay. Information. All right. All right. Have a good evening, everybody. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.